0: Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Redeemer. Glad you guys are here. I love that we finished with that song. And right as it was ending, nope, you can clearly tell I don't do this very often. There it is. Right as it was ending, my nephew Cooper walked in. Cooper isn't normally here uh, because they go to Midland Bible. Um, But when Cooper was a little kid, when he was born, uh, his lungs didn't work right. Um, And so he spent a long time in the NICU and uh, his parents just sang that song over him and over him and over him, that God was the one that was filling up his lungs, that God was the one that was putting that breath into his lungs. And we're going to look at Psalm 139 this morning um, and look at who God is and who we are. Uh, But before we do that, I wanted to show you guys a picture of my family. Um, My name is Keith Ewells and this is my wife, Becky, and that's Callie, our nine-year-old, Neil, our seven-year-old, Andy, our four-year-old, and Toby, our two-year-old. And I wanted to show you them in case you guys know them from either working at Redeemer Kids or seeing my wife in worship but didn't necessarily know me. But we moved here in 2015 and got to be a part of the launch team that started uh, this church. And it's just been great to be a part of. This has become our family, uh, and we're happy to be here. Um, let me pray for us before we get started. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that it is your breath that fills our lungs. We thank you that you are the designer and creator of the universe, Father. And we ask for for humility as we look at your word, that you would have uh, clear thoughts and clear minds for us, Father, to, to receive your word and to hear your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. So who is God? How would you define him? If somebody asked you that. How would you define who God is? Uh, who are we? Who are human beings? How would you define us if somebody asked you those questions? What makes us valuable? And how... Do you answer those questions? How does that compare to what Scripture says? How does it line up with what the Bible says? Uh, And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I said we're going to be in Psalm 139. uh, And I'm going to give you the answer before we get started. And then I want to show it to you from from Scripture. God is the creator and designer. And we humans are created beings made in His image. So let's go to Psalm 139. We're going to walk through kind of chunks of verses at a time and talk through them. And then we're going to look at Genesis 1 as some context for what David is trying to explain to us. He's trying to give us his perspective on who God is. Verse 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So in these first four verses, David is speaking in this language of you know me that's his perspective of God, is that God knows him. Uh, about 30 couples from Redeemer just finished going through Reengage, which is Watermark's curriculum for, for married couples. And in the, the Re-Engage curriculum, it defines intimacy as to know and be known without fear of rejection. And that's what David's talking about here. He is recognizing that God knows him incredibly intimis, intimately. He says in verse 2, God knows your thoughts. Verse 4, God knows our words before they are said, right? This is probably why Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10 to take every thought captive. And in uh, James 1, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Because we got a lot of not great things going on in here. But it's what David is saying, is David is saying, he's saying God knows those thoughts. He knows those words before they're said. And it's what we know from the truth of scripture is that God still loves us. Okay, so God knows us incredibly intimately. Hebrews 4:12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do we believe and understand that God knows our thoughts knows our words, and that we're accountable to him. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This language of behind and before, think of uh, like a presidential motorcade, right? You've got police motorcycles up front, and then you've got police cars, and then you've got a line of black vehicles. And in there somewhere is the president. And all of those people before and behind, are all there to do one thing, right? To protect the president. But for the sports fans in the room, think of a quarterback behind his offensive line, five gigantic guys whose job is to protect him. And for you Texas Tech fans, don't think about Patrick Mahomes running for his life. Think of Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, two slow guys who just get to stand back there and watch an attack, right? That's this language, behind and before. In 2 Kings 6, we get the account of Syria and the nation of Israel are in conflict. And the prophet Elisha is encouraging the people of Israel and saying, God is on our side. God is for us. He will protect us. He will guide us. He has called us to this. And the men do not understand what Elisha is trying to tell them. So here's what Elisha says to them in 2 Kings 6, 16 16 and 17. It says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is where the language uh, for Chris Tomlin's song, God of Angel Armies, comes from, right? It says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind the God of angel armies is always by my side. Do we view God that way? Do we view God as the commander of an army of angels? Do we view him with that power and that reverence? Verses seven, seven through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David's asking, where can I go? Where can I flee from God? Right, and he uses this example of the sea. If I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, And in David's world, they didn't know as much about the earth as we do. So the sea to them was a much smaller thing. Their world revolved around the Mediterranean Sea and kind of the seas that were there in Israel, right? For us, we we have a much bigger picture of what the world is, right? So 71% of the earth's surface is water. The average depth of the ocean is 2.3 miles. Challenger Deep is kind of the deepest known portion of the ocean, and it's 6.8 miles deep. So the summit of Everest is five and a half miles high. So five and a half miles high, 6.8 miles deep. And as what David is saying is that even if we went to the uttermost parts of the sea, and even in his understanding of what that was, if we take that to our understanding, we know that God is moving on the other side of the planet. We know that we can't just cross the sea, right? We can't go from uh, South America to Senegal in East Africa, 1,600 miles. We know that God is still going to be there. That's what scripture is trying to tell us here, right? Jonah, Jonah's view of God was pretty small. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. And Jonah was like, I'll just get on this boat and I'll go over there and God will leave me alone. Right? But we we know what happens. Right? We know that God sends a storm. Jonah ends up in the water. God sends a fish. And where does Jonah end up? Exactly where God wanted him to go in the beginning. So what David is telling us here is that God is inescapable. In Romans 8, Paul uses the language of nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Nor height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nothing. Verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What's the darkest place you've ever been? right? Sometimes we think it's our closet. We walk in there, our eyes don't adjust, and we're like, ah, this is dark in here. Maybe you've gone uh, camping in Big Bend area or out in Colorado, and you just get to sit there at night and just see the expanse of the sky. But that's not actually dark, right? Our eyes start to adjust to that. There are some places that that are completely dark. When I was in high school, my family went to Ecuador to visit my sister who was doing a summer internship in college. And we spent most of the time in Quito in the capital, but then we got to go kind of the east of the country towards the headwaters of the Amazon area. We did a bunch of hiking, we got to do some rafting. And one of the hikes that we went on uh, was kind of a hike slash swim through some caves. And so we had hard hats on with a little light on them. And so you'd hike for a while and then you'd swim across a little channel of river in these caves and then you'd hike some more. And at one point we got deep enough in there where our guide told us, okay, we're going to turn off our lights. It's going to be really dark, but don't freak out and stay exactly where you are. Like, okay, got it. Turn off our lights, and he goes, now try to find your hand. Couldn't see it. Couldn't see a thing. We were deep enough in there to where there was no natural light, and we had turned off our artificial light, right, to be able to see anything. You wait for a minute, no eye adjustment. And as David is saying here is that, this doesn't even apply to God. Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be night around me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verses 1 through 12 of Psalm 39, David's giving us his perspective on who God is and the two overarching themes of how he defines God to us is that God intimately knows us and that he is inescapable. We're going to look at portions of Genesis uh, chapter 1 today to look at the creation account. And the importance is not the process of creation, um, but the origin of it. We don't know the specifics of how it happened other than the Bible tells us that God did it and he spoke and it came to be. Uh, we don't necessarily know why from the Genesis 1 account. We know from other portions in Scripture, First uh, John 4 tells us that God is love and love is best expressed towards something. Uh, and we know from other portions, like the one that David read in our, in our uh, call to worship, right, that creation points to the glory of God. Here's what Acts 17:26 through 31 says. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of our own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring being then God's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and imagination of man so who is God Genesis 1 tells us that God is the creator and designer if we were a young Jewish boy being taught by a rabbi uh, a lesson that he might do with us is he might ask us to, to quote what we knew of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And as what he would say is he'd say, start in Genesis. And so we would go, in the beginning, God, and go, stop. Again. In the beginning, God, stop. Again. In the beginning, God, stop. And the rabbi would do that as long as he thought it took us to grasp the concept. There's four words, and what's the concept? In the beginning, God. That's it, right? We know the rest of verse 1 of Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the created the heavens and the earth does not matter if we don't know that God did it in the beginning. It wasn't us. It wasn't you. It wasn't some cosmic event. It was God in the beginning, this is an example of if, uh, if you get the first thing wrong, you're going to get a bunch of other things wrong. And I was trying to think of examples, kind of in our world, of what that would look like. And Becky goes, "Oh, this is like music. If you start in the wrong key, everything else is wrong." And you music people are probably like, "Yeah, that's right." I'm not a music person, so I'm like, I, "I'm going to have to take your word for it." Uh, I was in a meeting this week at work, and Nick uh, Shavinsky is Nick here? Maybe second service. I get to call him out in the second service too. Nick, her blah blah blah. If you guys follow him on Instagram. Um, He said, "He said, you know, when I was in college one time, I I was taking this math test and I got the third question wrong. And you had to use the answer of the third question in the fourth question, and the answer of the fourth question in the fifth question. So even though I did the math problems right in four, five, six, and on, I failed because I got the third one wrong. And so that's that's what we're talking about here. In the beginning, God. So we have to start with that as our framework for what creation is. John." In the Gospel of John, he starts out with Jesus in the beginning. And this is what he says, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he's he's explaining to the church there that Jesus is the head of the church. That's who they look to for authority. And the, the way he backs up Jesus's authority is he points to who Jesus is as the creator and sustainer of the world. Here's what he says in Colossians one fifteen through 17. He being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If we were to walk through Genesis 1, kind of verse by verse, we'd see a common phrase over and over, and it's according to its kind. Uh, This this refers to plants and animals, and it says that plants according to its kind, seed-bearing fruits according to its kind, Animals that walk on the earth according to its kind. Animals that fill the air according to its kind. And this is the same language that God uses in Genesis 6 when he told Noah to bring two of each animal to the ark, male and female, right, for repopulating the earth. And we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But at the end of Genesis 1, when referring to us, when referring to humans, it says he made them male and female. And so this is God's ordered design for the continuation of creation. So we are not self-created. We do not get to self-define who we are. To identify men as women or women as men when God created them male and female wonderfully in his image is contrary to God's designed order. To say that anything other than a man and a woman is God's design for the nuclear family is contrary to God's designed order. We are not self-created. God is the creator. In the beginning, God. So he gets to define what the order of his creation is to help us understand kind of how illogical it is that we think we could better order or design the creation that we were made a part of. I wanna look at the stars. Uh, Verse 16 tells us that God created the stars. It wasn't until the 1920s that astronomers realized that all the stars that we could see weren't just in the Milky Way galaxy. And what they've learned over the last 100 years is there are billions of galaxies uh, across the universe. The, the Andromeda galaxy is one of the ones that's close to us, and it's 2.3 million light years away. And I don't even know what that means. This far, right? We could go look at speed of light and kind of figure out what that means, but 2.3 million light years away, that's a close one. They had to make up a distance for us to understand how close it is, and I don't understand what it means. Okay, so the sun in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is 109 times larger than the Earth, right? That's big. If it was in the Andromeda galaxy, it would be hard for us to see. That's how far away this is. There are about 100 billion stars estimated in the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, In the European Space Agency, I was reading an article about this from earlier this summer, and they have a plan to map 1 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And the engineers in the room did the quick math, and they know what the percentage on that is. The landmen in the room are pulling out their phones to do the math, but I'll break it down for you. 100 billion stars that are out there, they're mapping 1 billion of them, 1%. So their big plan in 2021, right, think of all the technology we have, and their goal is to map 1% of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. I want to show you a picture that was taken on February 14, 1990 from Voyager 1 as uh, it was leaving the Milky Way galaxy. So this is this is this little kind of rover satellite thing that's flying past Neptune, looking back on the Milky Way galaxy. And you guys look at this and you're probably like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Right? It just looks like kind of some blue shades, maybe the background on your desktop computer. But Earth is in that picture. Because this is the entire Milky Way galaxy. You guys f- figure out where Earth is? It's that little blue dot. A little blue dot that just happens to be in kind of a ray of light to where it's visible. And this image is called the pale blue dot. It took two and a half months for the data to come back to Earth from the device that took this picture and a series of pictures to get it back to us. And so that's us. That's Earth in the Milky Way galaxy that is one of billions of galaxies in the universe that God created. And we are one of 7.9 billion people currently on the earth. Estimated world history is 80 to 100 billion people have lived. You should feel pretty small right now. Because you, sitting in that chair, taking up like, you know, two or three square feet, and you are one of 8 billion people on the planet, one of 100 billion people who have ever lived. And you fill, you know, your tiny spot on that earth that is a tiny spot... Just in this galaxy, just in the Milky Way galaxy that is one of billions of galaxies. The first time I ever saw this picture uh, was on a teaching session that Louis Giglio was doing, and he referred to humans as significantly insignificant. And we get the insignificant part, right? You see this, and you think of who we are on the earth, we get the insignificant portion. But why, why significant? Here's what Genesis 1 26 and 27 says Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Human beings alone are created in the image of God. Of all creation, we are the only ones that reflect his image in that way. And as a result, he gave us dominion over all the rest of it. If we were Jews, the next part of the creation story that would be significant to us is on the seventh day, God rested, right? And it has this idea of completion, but the idea of rest was huge to the Jewish people. So Moses is the likely author of of Genesis uh, 1 here, and Moses is the one who led the Jews, the Israelites, out of Egypt, and they had been there as slaves for 400 years, 400 years. That's longer than the history of the United States, and that was their entire Period, 400 years of slavery for them. And so Moses leads them out, and they had been valued for what they could physically produce for the Egyptians. That's the only thing the Egyptians cared about. That's why they were valuable to them as slaves. And if we look at Genesis 1, yeah, another phrase that we would see over and over again is there was evening and there was morning. And this is this idea that their day starts in the evening and then continues through to the next part. And so it starts with this period of rest. And so for the Jews, they, their day started with rest and not with activity. Their value did not depend on what they were accomplishing like it had for 400 years in Egypt as slaves. If we take this to us, we can look at this and we can say that creation is focused on hu- who human beings are, created in the image of God, and not what we do, not our physical or mental capabilities, not our maturity, not our development, that all human beings are valuable because they're created in the image of God. Our value is not comparative to others. It is solely based on being made in the image of God. We're equal in value and dignity. The first 12 verses of Psalm 139 that we looked at, David was talking about who God is and what he knows. And his perspective on who he is and who human beings are starts with God as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Here's what David says as as a defining feature of who we are. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David saying, you knit me together in my mother's womb prophet Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And although conception as a scientific definition is not defined in the Bible, embryology, science today supports a biblical view of what conception is. I want to read you from an embryology textbook. Uh, It's called The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology. You guys can go look that up and read it later if you're looking for some good reading. Here's what it says. It says, human development begins at fertilization when a male gamete or sperm unites with a female gamete or ovum to form a single-cell zygote. This highly specialized totipotent cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. And just as a side note, parents in the room, you should be the one that explains this to your kid. Don't wait till they go to school and they come back from school and they're like, mom, guess what Billy said. You should be the one that explains this to your kids. I want to show you some pictures of of one of my kids. Yeah. And you guys saw at the beginning, I've got four kids. Anybody know which one of my four kids this is? There's another slide. Go to the next one. These are early on. These are like 10 and and 15 weeks. There, this, this one's a little more clear, right? You can start to see their head. This is Toby. This is my two and a half year old. But all four of my kids look just like that. And every single one of us look just like this. All of the 8 billion people on the earth look just like this. All of the 80 to 100 billion people who have lived in the history of the world have looked like this. I want to read you a little bit more from uh, experts on embryology talking about embryo research. Here's what they say, the embryo is human. It will not articulate itself into some other kind of animal. Any being that is human is a human being. If it is objected that at five days or 15 days, the embryo does not look like a human being. It must be pointed out that this is precisely what a human being looks like and what each of us look like at five or 15 days of development. Abortion, regardless of when it occurs or for what reason, is the killing of a human being, a preborn child made in the image of God whose value is not defined by what they can or can't do or in what state of maturity or development they're currently in. David says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven. Jesus says in Matthew 10, that the hairs on your head are numbered. You are not an accident. You are incredibly value and your body is unbelievably complex. You may not think that your body is amazing, but it's incredibly complex. If we looked at science some more, we would learn very quickly on, right, when that sperm and ovum developed into that single cell zygote, that it immediately started multiplying and turning into those pictures that we saw. And in each of those cells, it carried DNA. And I tried to look up the complexities of DNA to be able to explain it and how complex it was, but it's really complex. Um, And so I'm just gonna tell you one, one thing about DNA. If you could type 60 words per minute, eight hours a day, it would take approximately 50 years to type the human genome. That's that code that makes up your DNA that makes you different from every single person that's in this room and every single person that's ever lived. Take 50 years to type that. The human brain is incredibly complex. There are as many neurons in your brain as there are in the Milky Way galaxy. You guys remember how many are in the Milky Way galaxy? Something like 100 billion. That's how many neurons are in your brain. And they're connected by about 100 trillion synapses. That's the connections that are firing back and forth to make us work. Christopher Koch is a PhD and chief scientist and president of the Allen Institute for Brain Science. So the only thing this guy does is study the brain. And he was asked at a forum one time how close we are to understanding the human brain. And this was his answer. We don't even understand the brain of a lab roundworm. And for some context, the lab roundworm has 302 neurons and 7,000 connections. That's compared to our 100 billion neurons and 100 trillion synapses. Scientists haven't even identified all the different types of neurons that are in the brain. The human eye. The human eye has the muscles that are the fastest-reacting muscles in the body. There are 40 separate components to your eye. A retina contains 256 unique characteristics. Your thumbprint has about 40, which is why in James Bond movies and Mission Impossible and Jason Bourne movies, they use retinal scanners. Does anybody use a retinal scanner in real life? No. But the reason they do it in the movie is to show that the retina is way more complex than the fingerprint. The human eye can tell 500 different shades of gray. 500. Here's what Charles Darwin said about the eye. To suppose that the eye with all its inevitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of lights, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems i freely confess absurd in the highest degree that's the guy who started the theory of evolution sin has a way of puffing us up and shrinking god the temptation from satan in the garden to adam and eve was do this and you will be like god so either in defiance of god with pride or circumstances beating us down sometimes we forget who God is and who we are and think that we get to define what his created order should be. If we look at the story of Job, this is where I want to finish our time this morning. The story of Job is one of life's circumstances beating somebody down and him forgetting who God is. And as what happens here is God allows Satan to take almost everything away from Job his children are taken from him, his earthly possessions are taken from him, and what Satan leaves is a nagging wife who tells him, curse God and die, and some friends who are like, bro, you probably had this coming. You, you, you sh- clearly did something. This was on you. And so Job starts to argue and complain with God and say, woe is me. Why did this happen to me? And in Job 38, we get God's response to Job. Every every verse that we've looked at so far has been in the ESV. But this has been my favorite verse since I was like 13 years old. And I learned this in the NIV. And, and is what it says in Job 38 is it says, God answered Job out of the storm. He said, brace yourself like a man, for I will question you and you will answer me. And is what, it's what uh, God does from chapters 38 through 41 is he doesn't answer any of Job's questions. God tells Job who he is, who God is, by asking him rhetorical questions about the physical world that Job lives in. And I want to read you kind of portions of what God asks Job. Starting in chapter 38, verse 4, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 12, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? For you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Right, this is, that's God mocking Job, right? You're really old. You, you probably already know this, but he keeps going. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Right, these, are, these, are, um, these are stars in the sky that he's talking about. Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule of the earth? And God continues in chapter 39 and he switches and starts asking questions, Job, about animals and the world around him. And by this point, Job is like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Right, this is, this is uh, Duke at the end of Rocky IV when he's yelling at him. He's like, or in the middle of Rocky IV when the big Russian guy is fighting uh, Apollo Creed, and he's just pounding on him, and he's like, throw the towel, throw the towel. This is the throw the towel moment. Like, it's over, it's done. You made your point. And here's what Job says to him He says, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And God's point here is that Job doesn't understand the physical order of the world. How could he fully understand or comprehend God's mind, will, or character? Job couldn't explain common weather events, right? This is like us in Midland trying to figure out when it's going to rain outside. At the weather app, you look at it, it's 100% chance of rain. 100% means it's raining outside. And you look outside and you're like, it's not raining. 0% chance of rain. That means there's no way it's going to rain and it's raining outside, right? We know this from living here. The only way to know if it's raining in Midland is it's raining in Midland. That's it. That's all we've got, right? Job, God was not satisfied with Job's answer here of, I've got nothing to say. So God keeps going, and he goes through chapter 40 and chapter 41, and I just want to read you two portions of it. 40 verse 9, have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? 41 verse 1, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Think of like a gigantic sea monster alligator thing. Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Verse 5, will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? God was looking for Job, in spite of his circumstances, to recognize who God was, who he was, and to submit to him. And this time Job got it. Chapter 42 verses one through six, this is Job's response. It's much different than the I've got nothing to say response. Here's what he said. Then Job answered the Lord and said, "'I know that you can do all things, "'and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. "'Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Who are we? Who are we as human beings?
1: For men and women
0: fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven together in the image of God. And who is God? God is the creator and sustainer of the universe that knows us intimately and wants us to know him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word telling us who you are. And we thank you for the example of Job getting to have this intimate conversation that we sometimes feel like that life beats us down or in pride we think that we know better than you but you gave us an example of who you are and that you know and love us, Father, and you gave us what we should do in response to that, Father, that we should submit to you. God, I pray that you would give us grace and humility to accept this, that you would give us grace and humility to look to your word for truth, and that you would allow us to respond to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at redeemermidland.org.